Welcome back to another podcast. We continue our series going through the Ten Commandments tonight, and we're going to talk about commandment number seven. If you're following along with me in Exodus chapter 20, where we find the Ten Commandments, you can direct your eyes to verses 14. That's all it is. One verse, one sentence. This is the commandment. You shall not commit adultery. That's the commandment. You shall not commit adultery. We're going to look at that tonight. The One of the most awkward, if not the most awkward commandments, adultery. We're going to look at that and we're going to look at the straightforward part of that. We're also going to look at the deeper part of that as Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount, where it may be more than you once thought. So let's get into it. Adultery. I, I don't know if I have to define adultery, but I'm going to. Um, adultery basically means that you are um, committing a sexual act with someone who is not your spouse. I mean, it's very simple and straightforward. Like that, that's what adultery is. You're committing a sinful act, a sexual act, with someone who is not your spouse. Um, that's what adultery is. And that's the straightforward letter of the law definition of adultery. We're also going to look at the deeper version of adultery. Um, at least one, maybe two instances of this. One pretty controversial, but I might bring it up anyways. We'll see how we do on time. But as Jesus um, talks about adultery in Matthew 5, which we'll get to in a moment, it's it's going to go well beyond, again, what we think about adultery. But as we begin, let's begin in the Ten Commandments listed in Exodus chapter 20, and let's talk about the straightforward version of this commandment. You cannot, you shall not commit adultery. This is from the beginning of time. As God hands out his commandments to his people, he wants every single person to understand that he has created marriage as his institution between man and woman. That is the institution God has created for man and woman to have a relationship. That is the only institution that man has, that, excuse me, that God has created for man and woman to have a relationship um, beyond just friendship, of course. Marriage. And marriage is established well before the Ten Commandments. He gave Adam Eve, and it said in Genesis, I believe, chapter 3, a man shall leave his mother and his father and be joined with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so marriage is established well before the Ten Commandments are even given. So when it, it is stated, you shall not commit adultery, of course, God is talking about upholding the marriage constitution and covenant. So we must understand it, that adultery only exists because marriage exists, and God created marriage. And today, what we have in our society is a very perverted view of marriage. And if you don't really understand marriage, you're not really going to understand adultery either. So we have to start there, that God created marriage as what is really profound, a comparison, a parallel of Christ's relationship with his church, or you could even say God's relationship with his people. Marriage is a symbolic understanding of a much greater relationship. So to understand marriage, <laughs> excuse me, you need to understand how profound the relationship is between God and his people or Christ and the church. And if you don't understand that, then you really won't understand marriage, which therefore 
Um, if you don't understand marriage, then everything else is going to follow suit. You won't understand how big adultery is, um, how sacred a sexual union between a man and a wife is. And so there's a lot to be said here, and we're not able to go into a lot of these different things and talk about all of this. Um, we're only going to be able to focus on a little bit here tonight, but adultery. I think you're all tracking with me that adultery is wrong. Anytime you, you have a relationship that is intended only for marriage, and you have that relationship outside of marriage, that's what God considers adultery. Um, so we're going to look at the straightforward as we are looking at that now. We're also going to look at lust. We're also going to look at divorce and remarriage, the most controversial one of the three. But as you understand adultery and I understand adultery, the first one is very straightforward. You shall not, you cannot have a sexual relationship with anyone that is not your spouse. Because when you have a spouse, when you have a, um, a man or a woman who is espoused to you, you have a relationship that is representing God in the church. And that's really important. And not only that, but when we marry that person, we are basically agreeing to a covenant with that person that you will love that person and I will love that person no matter what until the end, which means death. It says even in the vows that people say, till death do us part, which is a little silly because people say these vows and then there exists the thing called divorce and that was never intended to be. God never intended for divorce to be any part of the story. But I think it's like 50% of marriages today end up in divorce. Maybe it's even more than that now. And so those vows that people say, that covenant relationship that people enter into is sort of a joke. When people say, you know, in sickness and in health, uh, in riches and in poverty, till death do us part, really what they mean is, I love you because things are going well now. And if things do not go well or things do not go according to my plan, then I'm not going to stand by those vows any longer. <clears throat> so adultery comes into the picture very easily when you have a very shallow view of marriage. When you have a view of marriage that God intended, on the other hand, then adultery is not an option. And that's the view God wants us to have of marriage. That marriage is a covenant relationship between man and a woman. Man and a woman. Not man and a man. Not woman and a woman. Man and a woman. And it's intended to be until death. Death is the only thing that can break a marriage relationship. Death. Till death do us part. It says in scripture, what, what God has put together, let not man tear apart. And yet man tries, don't they? So adultery, when understood in the marriage covenant context, is heinous. It's a heinous sin. It would be as similar to God's people, as we've talked about in the first two commandments, being unfaithful to God. Because marriage represents God and his people. So when adultery happens inside of a marriage context, it's similar to what happens when God's people are given over to idols. And so a marriage relationship that is supposed to intended to reflect 
God and his people should not be perverted, ever. And adultery is incredibly serious. It's not incredibly serious just because of the consequences of what it does to the relationship or the family. It's most profoundly incredibly serious because of what it does to the picture we have of God and his people or Christ and the church. Christ and the church have a covenant relationship, which means God cannot and will not break his covenant and neither shall his people. His people are intended to keep the covenant they have with Christ, which means they will be faithful and follow him until the end. So when adultery comes into the picture of marriage, it's a very perverse view we have of the most profound relationship that ever existed. God and his people. You know, besides God and Christ, of course. So, very straightforward. You cannot, you shall not commit adultery. It's a heinous sin. And it's an ancient sin. It's one of the oldest sins out there because marriage was instituted at the beginning of creation. And ever since there's been marriage, there's been perversions, unfortunately, in marriage and outside of marriage. So we have to understand marriage. We have to understand how important it is for a man and a woman to represent Christ in the church. And again, we can open up so many different uh, corridors here talking about what that means, but we need to stay on track here. The next thing we're going to talk about is more than just the physical act of having sex with someone who's not your spouse. Because that is the letter of the law with adultery. You shall not have a sexual act with anyone who's not your spouse. And I, I mean while you're married or before you're married. You shall not have a sexual act with anyone who's not your spouse. The only time you're supposed to have sex is in the union in the context of marriage. And every time you do Outside of marriage, you're committing adultery. We just have to call it what it is. But in the Sermon on the Mount, if you have your Bibles and you want to jump over to me to Matthew with me to Matthew chapter five, we're going to look at that adultery goes even further than the committing of an actual act of sex outside of marriage. Uh, Matthew chapter five and verse twenty-seven, Jesus is going to once again um, unravel a commandment for us. And it starts in verse 27 of Matthew 5. It says this, You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, which we just stated, we just read. But verse 28 says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Think about that. I say to you and everyone, excuse me, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying it's much more than committing a physical act of sex with a person who's not your spouse. It's about lust. It's about the desire to. Because as we know, God doesn't just look at the physical action of the person. He also peers into the heart. He also looks into the desire of the person. And if the desire of the person is evil, even if that evil isn't brought out to a physical action, it's still sin. It's still evil. If the desire of someone is to commit evil, it's evil. To God, it's the same as if the act was committed. Now, there may not be as grave of consequences 
as if you actually carry out the act. Like we talked about last podcast, the difference between anger and murder. To God, they're the same. That if you're angry with your brother, God considers that the same because he looks into the heart. But if I'm angry with my brother and if I kill my brother, there's going to be different consequences here upon the earth. But according to God's law, they're the same. And according to God's law here with with adultery, lust and adultery are the same. So not only if I commit a physical act of sex outside of marriage, but if I go there in my mind, if I desire it, if I go through the process of thinking about it and going after it with carrying it out in weird, perverse ways without even another person, it's adultery. And that's really serious. And I don't know a lot of people who speak that way today. Of course we know lust is an evil word. It's, it's a horrible word. But it's almost a taboo word. Like, no one wants to talk about lust. No one wants to go this depth with lust. Lust is adultery. When we desire and crave someone who's not our spouse in a sexual fashion, it's adultery. Because whether we carry that act out or not, if we desire it, God considers that the same thing. And often, many times, when you do desire it, if that is not taken care of, which we'll look at here in a minute, it will come out. It will make its physical way out into an actual um, act of sin. So this is what Jesus tells us, that if we not only struggle with adultery, the actual committing of adultery, but if we struggle with lust, it equates to adultery. This is what he says in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right eye, excuse me, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Wait, what a minute. God is talking about hell all of a sudden. Jesus brings up the context of hell. That if we lust and it's not taken care of, we're trifling with hell. Imagine something so serious that hell has to be brought brought into discussion. And that's what happens here with lust. God didn't bring hell into the conversation with anger. He says we'll be judged, but he never mentions specifically hell. But with adultery and lust, Jesus brings up the conversation of hell. And you've got to be big on context when you're studying the Word of God. You may have heard that before. People talking about sin. If you're right, I causes you to sin. Tear it out. And you can apply that to other sins, of course. If you, you could apply that to anger. You could apply that to covetousness. You could apply that to idolatry. If your eye causes you to sin, if your hand causes you to sin, do something severe. It's not talking about physical mutilation. It's talking about take whatever measure possible to not sin against God. Be severe against sin. But the context of what he's saying here is applied directly to lust. Because lust and adultery to God are the same. And if we are lusting with our eyes, lusting with our hands, God says, it's better if you didn't have eye. It's better if you didn't have a hand. Because if those members of those bodies cause you to sin, 
And that's the thing that you practice, which means you're not practicing following Christ. You're not practicing obeying God. You're going to find yourself in hell because the wages of sin is death. Regardless of what you call yourself, regardless of what you think you are, if you practice sin, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to set us free from the chains of sin and death. So if we're calling ourselves a Christian and we're practicing lust, which means we're practicing adultery, that is not the path of eternal life. It's just not. That is a path we have to repent of immediately because that path will lead us to death. And by death, Jesus brings up here, is hell. And we all know what hell is. Hell is in a place of eternal torment and punishment for the wicked. And Jesus thinks this is so serious that he decides to bring up hell into the conversation by saying, listen, your eye is causing you to sin and lust. That, what, the things that you're looking at are causing you to lust. It's better if you were eyeless. It's better if you had no eye than if you had both eyes and you were sent to hell. Your hand is causing you to lust. Your hand is causing you to sin. It's better if you didn't have any hands than if you had both your hands and you went to hell. Which is obvious, right? If I, if I had one hand and went to heaven, much better than if I had two hands and went to hell. And that's what Jesus is basically saying. That you have to be severe with sin. If there's a sin that leads to death, which lust and adultery is definitely one of those sins, you have to take any measure possible to not sin against God. One of the things I want to bring up here is maybe, and I think the reason Jesus brings hell up here is because of one of the most potent ways of fighting lust is with the fear of God. I think we have really hurt ourselves here as 21st century Christians by never talking about the fear of God. I don't think the fear of God is really known like it was 50, 100, definitely a couple hundred years ago. When people talk about the fear of God a couple hundred years ago, they're talking about uh, a reverence, certainly, but they're also talking about a trembling fear of God that every single person who knows God would have inside of them that they should not sin against God because God is not okay with sin. And that fear that you have inside of you is similar, not the same, of course, but similar to the fear you would have of a parent. And I am a, I'm a parent of four children going on five, and I now see inside of my children that there is a fear of me. There's also a tremendous love for me, and I have a tremendous love for my children, but there are times that you can tell my children, fear me. And that's a good kind of fear, a good kind of fear that keeps them obedient. It's not the kind of fear that is going to, you know, um, convince them that I'm going to harm them and physically lash out and abuse them. It's nothing like that. It is just such a reverence and a fear that dad wants me to do what is right. And if I don't do what is right, dad is going to be there with a swift punishment to let me know that is not right. And that's a similar type of fear that we should have with God. And that fear should never go away, even when you're a Christian, especially when you're a Christian. 
that fear should be heightened because now you know God. Now you know God's stance on sin. And when we don't talk about the fear of God and we don't have the fear of God and we just tell people, no, it's just a reverence. It's just a respect. And you don't have that inside trembling before God. Like every single person who encounters God in Scripture falls on their face. Um, and these were people who were really godly people. John, the, the apostle John in Revelation, when he sees you know, or hears God or this image he has of God, he falls on his face as though dead. Same with Isaiah the prophet. You know, he hears God and it falls down as though dead on his face because they had a trembling a fear of God. And that's the kind of fear we need before God. And here's the other thing, and this is brought up in the rest of another part of the gospel, is that Jesus says, listen, you don't need to fear those who can only kill the body. But he says, you know who you should fear? You should fear the one who can, who can kill the body and then cast that body into hell. He actually specifically says that. Do not fear those who can only harm the body, but do fear him who can throw both soul and body into hell. And then he reiterates it. He says, I tell you, fear him. And so what we're talking about here is if we have that fear, we have an enormous weapon in the fight against lust. Because if we understand that God is so set against sin, and specifically here the sin of adultery, the sin of lust, that if we commit the sin of adultery and lust, we are now trifling with hell. Do you see what's happening here? If you understand that the wages of sin is death, and that if you trifle with lust and adultery, you are now trifling with hell, and you know that, and you understand that, don't you think that's going to cause you to fight against lust and adultery? Do you see what God is doing there? He's helping you fight against sin. But if you take away that fear, if you take away that understanding of sin equals death, death and hell, and you allow yourself to just play around with it and practice it and just be a part of it, you're going to find out that one day you can go to hell. One day God can judge you and go, no, wait a minute, you were a Christian? Well, you're claiming Christ? I'm looking into your life and I'm seeing lust all over the place. I'm seeing lust in your heart. I'm seeing lust in your eyes. I'm seeing lust in your hands. I'm sorry, that is, that is not a person who follows Jesus Christ. Be gone. And you will find yourself on the last day cast out from God's presence because of lust. I'm, guys, it's, it's that serious. And I think we've done a great disservice to us and, our, and, and people around us by saying that Christians don't need to have a fear of God. That's absolutely wrong. And God, when he is giving this, this fear of himself, what he's doing is giving us the most profound and most potent weapon against such a deadly sin called lust. There are some sins um, that we will struggle with that simply God's love for us will be enough to motivate us not to do that sin any longer because we don't want to hurt God. We know what God has done for us. You know what he is deserving of. He's not deserving of sin. He's deserving of us to be obedient. So when you understand that, you go, you know what? I don't want to do that sin any longer. But lust is one of those sins that is enslaving. And I have seen it so up close 
working with young men from 18 to 30 now for the last um, decade or so that I've seen lust up close. And I have seen it enslave young men to the point that these people don't know how to get out of it. They don't know how to say no. And I've seen it 100% of the time that these people who don't know how to say no to lust also don't have a fear of God. That fear of God has been neutralized. It's been snuffed out. Someone or something has told them, you don't need to have that fear of God. Fear of God is, does, has no part in the Christian life. Remember, God came to remove you from sin and death, and therefore, you know, you don't have to worry about um, death any longer. And that's wrong. Because the wages of sin is death. That never changes. So if you're following Christ, yes, death is not your end. You don't need to fear death. But if you're trifling with lust and adultery, that's a different, that's a different conversation. Because now you're dealing with a sin that leads to death. And I wish I had more time to flush that out. I don't, unfortunately. Um, many of you who know me know that I talk about this at great lengths. And... Um, it's something I'm really passionate about. Um, I've struggled with lust myself. I've seen, like I said uh, before, I've seen lust up close with so many young men uh, who have been enslaved to it and are convinced that they're Christian, are convinced that they're headed to heaven, and yet are enslaved to adultery. And I'm sorry, that's not a working equation. And we need to have the fear of God. And what Jesus is doing by bringing up hell here is he's helping us understand the severity of sin. And the severity of the punishment against sin. And he's saying, listen, if your hand or your eye is causing you to sin, it is better to go without those things than to sin against God. And lust and commit adultery because the wages of sin is death and God will judge the ungodly. Make no bones about it. No matter what you call yourself, no matter what you think happened in your life, no matter what experience you think you have, if you're practicing sin, you are not of Christ. You can't be. First John flushes that out for us. Um, now, you can for a season, unfortunately. You know, there are p people like David who um, lived in a season of sin and then repented and came out of it. Uh, I don't really want to bring that up because I never want to give anyone a reason to think that sin is okay even for a season, because it's not. But if someone is practicing lust and committing adultery in their heart, in their mind, with their eyes, with their hands... Um, that's a sin that has to be repented of today, immediately. And what the devil wants us to do is, is neutralize that and go, you know what, J just because you're doing it in your mind doesn't mean you're doing it with your body, therefore, difference. It's different. So who are you really harming, right? Who are you really harming if you're just watching things on the internet or the movies or just you know playing out things in your mind? You're not actually hurting anybody. Therefore, that's not adultery. Well, if, if you listen to Satan, that's what you can come to grips with. But if you come to Scripture, you can't. Jesus says, no, lust and adultery are the same thing. And we have to listen to Scripture when we're dealing with such things. And God says adultery is a sin that leads to death. It's a sin that le can lead to hell. And we have to be very severe with it. And he says, you heard it was said that everyone who, uh, uh, he said, you heard, it, heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent 
is already an adulterer. And you know what that means, guys? There are adulterers all around us. And unfortunately, there may be some of us committing adultery in our mind, with our thoughts, with lust. We may do a two-parter here with this podcast. I may bring my wife into the discussion to sort of help the women think through this because I'm thinking primarily about men. I've seen enough of it. I've worked through enough of it with my uh, ministry uh, that I have a lot of experience with this uh, with young men. And most young men who know me know that this is a very um, big issue that I talk about is both the fear of God and the fight against lust and sexual immorality. But uh, but what about women? I might bring my wife into the discussion in the next podcast to figure out what, what that looks like with women. Um, but obviously for men, um, it has to do with lust and looking at women and playing out things in our mind that we have no right doing because they're not our wife. And that goes to the beginning of the commandment. Adultery is doing anything lust or physically with a, with someone who's not your spouse. It's sin. And it's a very, very dangerous sin. And it's a sin that has to be repented of immediately and permanently. It's not a sin you can play around with. It's not a sin you can bring out of the closet every now and then. It's a sin that every single time you commit adultery with lust, you're trifling with God. You're trifling with hell. And God says, listen, it's better if you have no eyes. It's better if you have no hands than, than lust. So if that means, maybe not self-mutilation, but if that means you have no internet, it's better if you lived like the Amish and have no internet and no TV than for those things to cause you to lust. It's better if you never watch a movie again. It's better if you watch no TV it's better if you never go to the beach. If these things are causing you to lust, and lust can lead you to hell, it is better that you live like a nomad and have none of these things in your life anymore. That's the severity we have to take against lust. And nobody talks about that kind of stuff today. Nobody thinks we need to go to such lengths against lust. It's always like, oh, you know what, just kind of work through it and remember that, you know, Christ is more enjoyable than sin. And so when you're in the midst of it, you'll go, oh, no, 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 I shouldn't do this because Christ is more enjoyable. And maybe for some that is a working equation. But I think God gave us the fear of God to fight against the most deadly sins like lust so that when it's the fight between us and the devil against lust, against lusting and, and committing adultery, we remember what God says about lust. We remember what God says about adultery. And we go, oh no, oh no, I am not going near that because that sin can kill me. And we repent. And we run from it. And that's exactly what it says about lust and adultery and sexual immorality. It says flee sexual immorality. And I can't help but think of Joseph um, all the way back in the Old Testament in Genesis when Potiphar's wife came after him and said, come to bed with me. And he literally ran away from her. <laughs> flee sexual immorality. We don't have time to get into the third thing I wanted to mention. I was going to bring up, um, which is probably silly. There's just not enough time to do that. I was going to bring up divorce and, a, and remarriage because it says in scripture that remarriage is also adultery. 
Um, another thing nobody really mentions today, but it's definitely in scripture. I would hope that uh, if that's something you want to look into, you can look into it yourself or you can um, have a conversation with me. But uh, I want us to think about adultery. I want us to think about how serious it is. And I want us to never do it. I want us to never do it in our minds. I want us to, you know, if we have, don't have the gift of singleness, I want us to be married to our spouse, be committed to that spouse, be faithful to that spouse, and not commit adultery either physically or in our minds. And I know so many men who were in the ministry and, and didn't get a hold of this who are now out of the ministry because the lust eventually came to the physical act of committing adultery. And that was found out, and now they're no longer in the ministry. And that's the thing about lust, is it's a snowball. Is once you get a taste for it, you, you want more. And then once, once you get a taste for that, you want something else. You want a different version of that. And it's a deadly sin. It's there to kill you. It's not there to be your friend. And the only way sex is right is in the context of marriage between a woman and a man or a spouse. And then it's beautiful. And outside of it, it's deadly. And we just have to call it what it is. Um, again, I wish I had more time to flesh this out. Um, we will probably look into a second part of this, uh, including my wife, Lord willing, and think about how, how the women can think through this context of lust. But until then, I hope this has been a blessing to you. May, may you think about this and pray about this. And if someone here listening to this is struggling with lust and adultery, then they do what's necessary. Take it to God and confess it. And then by God's grace, immediately and severely repent of it by any means possible and get back on the narrow path that leads to life, which is following Jesus Christ. Again, may God bless this and uh, thanks for listening.